High end over end variety. And Amati from his 45. He's got a lane. And he's got speed. Look out. Beep, beep. The Ducks are in the end zone. Touchdown. This is the Duck Pod from the Register Guard Newsroom. Gordon head to head for sure. Mitchell goes in motion. They hand it off. Oregon sports beat writers Ryan Thorburn and Steve Mims. All right, Steve, we're back on the Duck Pod. It's been a minute. We've had a little bit of a hiatus, um, but we're back. Uh, football season is over. The Super Bowl is over. Uh, spring football is on the horizon, but it's basketball season in full glory right now and Oregon has two really good teams the Oregon women are number three in the country they look to be uh, a virtual lock for the number one seed in the Portland regional which gives them a nice clear path to the final four again and the Oregon men are back in first place in the Pac-12 after beating Utah and Colorado last weekend let's start with the women Serena Ionescu continues to make history she's going to make more history coming up very soon when she gets 20 more rebounds and it's the first player, man or woman, to get over 2,000 points, over 1,000 assists, and over 1,000 rebounds. Is this... is there any way this team can be stopped, barring injury, Steve? You know, it felt like it about two months ago. You kind of thought that going into that, boy, there's a tough stretch coming up, and you got back-to-back with Oregon State and Stanford at home, and, you know, if they could get through that with, you know, maybe three wins out of four, but they just blown everybody away at this point. And I think it's funny. We've seen Kelly Graves seems to be, you know, he's gotten a couple of technicals lately. He was all upset at the USC fan base the other day. It almost feels like he realizes, look – we're a month out. I, I got to find some things to be angry about because this is the kind of basketball you're going to be playing in the middle of March. And it almost feels like Kelly right now is trying to kind of keep this fire going, knowing that, uh oh, maybe we peaked a little bit because, you know, they're blowing away every top 10 team right now. And now the question just becomes I mean, they're, like you said, they've locked up the one. It doesn't look like they probably get the one overall. So they're kind of going to have that, you know, Baylor and then South Carolina. And it feels like Kelly right now is really trying to get the message that you got to stay on point and make sure you're playing this way the next month. Yeah, I vote in the women's top 25 poll. You know, there was a week about a month ago where I didn't have South Carolina number one, and there was like (laughs) a dozen. uh, I don't want to cross any lines here, but (laughs) ignorant people uh, contacting me about that. I mean, I had, uh, I think, Baylor one, South Carolina two, Oregon three. So I didn't even have the school I covered ahead of them. But South Carolina also has a passionate fan base like Oregon. They're also uh, drawing 10,000. But anyway, my point was early in the season, you could get through about 15, 16 teams, Uh, really easy in your poll and there seemed to be a lot more parity but the last three weeks or so three teams have really pulled away from the pack South Carolina who's number one right now Baylor who's number two and hasn't lost in the Big 12 for eons and then Oregon at three uh, which is dominating maybe the best conference in the country and then there's a huge drop-off I mean right now Stanford's number four in the mm-hmm. in the AP poll and we saw what happened when they came to to Oregon so I think those three are going to be in the final four the question is will a Louisville or will a Yukon another team that's been blown out by Oregon uh, and Baylor and South Carolina or a Maryland will someone else make the final four really competitive or or because right now it looks like these three three teams, one of them is going to win the national championship, which means 
if South Carolina gets that number one overall seed, they'll have the benefit of uh, not having to play Baylor or Oregon until the championship. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned it's weird. I was thinking the other day, what, UConn's three losses, and they're the three teams ahead of them. Baylor's got one loss, and it was to South Carolina, right? So it sort of like lines up yeah. almost like a high school, you know, where it's like, oh, you've got one loss, but that's the team ahead of you. And, um, you know, Oregon's kind of the outlier with the Louisville and, and Arizona State losses, which probably what has it behind, you know, I, I think if you're Oregon right now, you're, you're hoping, right, that somehow or another, I know the Baylor is in a bad conference that maybe in the conference tournament they drop one or maybe South Carolina can take an unexpected loss along the way and then if Oregon can kind of keep rolling and win that Pac-12 tournament then maybe they get the one but it feels like just kind of looking at things that whatever Oregon can't get to one on its own it's going to need some help to do that and like you say there does seem to be a big difference because if you have a heavyweight battle with Baylor on on Saturday night or on Sunday and then you come back for the national title game on Tuesday and South Carolina's maybe been able to roll a UConn by 15 or something it certainly changes the feel of that title game what i love about kelly graves compared to 99 percent of coaches is he'll address this stuff with his team like and maybe hasn't thought of it yet and he's looking for motivation maybe he's listening to this give me credit kelly but <laughs> i could see him saying to the team listen we've won 12 in a row and even you know say they they beat stanford and and uh you know separate themselves and have basically clinched the pac-12 he's going to say to them listen Let's keep it going. Let's win the Pac-12 tournament. Let's do everything we can to get that number one seed because at the Final Four, that will make life a little bit easier. I mean, he's the kind of guy that, that looks into the future, and, th- and that would be a good idea. So, uh, you know, another thing he does for motivation is he's mentioned that the best game they've played all year was in November, and it didn't count, <laughs> yeah. beating the, the U.S. women's national team. I mean, if they can get to that level again where you're <laughs> beating the likely gold medal winners, uh, then I think they could handle, obviously, South Carolina or Baylor on a neutral court. But uh, as far as the Pac-12 goes, despite this 12-game winning streak, um, you know, all by an average of you know over 25 points per game during the streak, still only one game ahead of Stanford with a trip to Stanford looming next Monday. So technically, if the Cardinal could rise up and upset Oregon, uh, the Ducks' best team ever would have to split the championship with Stanford. I know that's something they don't want. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, we kind of talked about that being a big game here. And and it looked close for about a quarter and a half, and then Oregon blew them away. And it'll be interesting to see down there because you mentioned they get to to roll over Cal and Oregon State's out of it a little bit. But Stanford will get a little bit of a push from them, you'd feel like, next week. So Oregon may have a chance to kind of rest some things and be ready to go. And that'll be kind of like last night. It was kind of fun to see Oregon State on the 6 o'clock ESPN Monday night you know hoops game and and that'll be a big one for the Ducks there both Oregon Stanford games on national TV yeah and I think Oregon has a huge advantage in that they you know three weeks ago had one of these Monday night games on the road at UConn another top five showdown and obviously handled their business now I think Stanford might be a little bit better than UConn this year but not by a lot so uh, Oregon has that in their back pocket and and they ended their long losing streak at Stanford, which dated back to 1987 last year with a route of Stanford, uh, 88-48. I was at that game. Um, so they'll definitely have the confidence, and, and Sabrina's from the Bay Area, and she's always motivated. So I, I see Oregon winning out and, and taking this thing, but you know, I'm sure the Pac-12 commissioner is happy. That game is going to be huge. It still matters. So uh, look forward to that. Let's switch over to the men's side. Uh, as I mentioned, what a huge weekend for Dana Altman and those guys last weekend. If Colorado, which had a nice lead, I think they had, what, an 18 or a 20 run in that game. If they hold on, they're you know really in the driver's seat. But now 
Oregon has thrown this thing wide open entering this weekend's action. They are tied with Colorado atop the standings, 9-4 and four records. And then it gets really muddled with Arizona. Arizona State also have four losses. Um, even USC and, and UCLA are, are in the mix a little bit. Uh, how do you see this race? Yeah, it'd be interesting. Out? You know, you mentioned Colorado. If Colorado beats Oregon, Oregon's tied for fifth and two games out and sort of out of the mix of it. Instead, they win it and they're tied. Um, and now it comes down, you know, it's, it, the way it sets up, now they go play the two teams directly behind them in the standings. I think if they split the Arizona trip, considering their final three games are home games against second division teams, Oregon State, Stanford, and Cal, albeit two of those teams have already beaten Oregon this year in Stanford and Oregon State. But I think 4-1 and one gets you at this point the Pac-12 title, at least a share, probably outright. Um, so I think if they go down there and split. Now, if they get swept at Arizona, which is, has happened many times in their history, Arizona State's playing really well. They've won five in a row. Arizona's got it going. If they come back from this thing at nine and six, suddenly they're probably, again, laid down in fifth or sixth and needing to probably win out just to avoid a first-round you know, buy in the in the conference tournament, which has kind of been assumed. But I mean, even UCLA, which has looked terrible all year and has 11 overall losses, is you know they could move ahead of Oregon this week. And you know they wouldn't be in any sort of RPI, but in the standings they could be. And you know, that could be kind of thing where suddenly Oregon, I think particularly with this team, they, they like that first round bye. You know, there's some intriguing matchups with Oregon's lack of physicality that I think you want to play as little as possible out there. And um, like I say, everybody's kind of assumed they're the top ranked team in the conference. In past years, you'd think they kind of need another win or so to clinch a, a first round bye. But right now where they're at, I think they got to go four and one to assure it. And like I say, to do that, you got to at least split this trip. Yeah, if you're a, a fan of the Buffaloes or the Ducks, you got to view Sean Miller as kind of a cockroach. I mean, <laughs> I remember a couple of years ago, I went down to Arizona to cover the women, and that that scandal broke with uh, the NCAA and Arizona men mm-hmm. while I was down there, and it was just red alert. They thought it was the end of everything. Two years later, he's still coaching. Mm-hmm. They still have three NBA first-round prospects on their team, and they're ranked, and it's there for them, too. That That's always a key game for anyone that wants to win the Pac-12 and it still is for uh, Oregon to go down to to Tucson and try and pull that out. And Colorado's got, you know, the other part of that stands, Colorado hosts the LA schools, which are again that next year they're one game back so if Colorado, you know, Colorado sweeps, then all of a sudden you're looking at both those LA schools have taken at least one loss this week, maybe two, whereas if Colorado loses one of those, suddenly, you know, so it all kind of mixes around at least this week with basically the the top six teams in the standings are all having to play each other a little bit, which, which sets up for some intriguing ones and you know can Oregon State go down and get maybe one win in Arizona to help the the teams at the top out and could Utah get a win over you know I would think Utah probably even favored against like a, a UCLA type deal so um, the key right now is sort of and I think I say for the Ducks to if they could split this road trip and come home they're 14-0 at home they'll be playing three teams they'll be favored pretty heavily to beat I think if they can get to 13-5 and five, that's probably like I say at least a tie and maybe an outright title. So how do you see the uh, Pac-12 Player of the Year race going? I I think early in the season, it looked like Peyton Pritchard's to lose maybe. Um, You know, obviously uh, some other candidates have emerged. How do you see that playing out? I still think it's Pritchard's to lose at this point. I, I think even if they, you know, finish this thing out strong, even if they don't win the conference, I just think what, you know, he's been, he's the only Pac-12 player who's on the top 30 for the Wooden Award. He's, you know, with Isaiah Stewart for the Naismith Trophy, and Stewart's not going to win it on a last place team. I know, you know, Remy Martin's kind of making a nice run and putting up some numbers, but I, I think his numbers are pretty comparable to Pritchard. Pritchard, I think sometimes those, you know, coaches really like senior point guards, and coaches around the conference like to reward guys for coming back and playing another year of college. So, adding that 
that. And he's kind of had more signature plays, I think, than Martin this year. Now, we'll see. You know, they beat him the first time. If, if you know, Arizona State beats Oregon, which would put them in a tie for the standings. And if ASU somehow finishes ahead of Oregon in the standings, maybe that thing turns to Remy. But I, I think as long as Pritchard gets Oregon to the end of that one or two spot and keeps putting up the numbers he is, I think it's probably his at this point. So on the women's side, at least in terms of Oregon, bracketology is pretty simple. They're going to play their first two rounds mm-hmm. at Matthew Knight Arena, and then they're going to play the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight in Portland and presumably will be headed to New Orleans for the Final Four. Uh, the men's obviously a lot more complicated. Where, where kind of do you see Oregon trending as far as a seed and maybe what part of the country they might end up in you know we saw them as the four in that early reveal last week and then they lost Oregon State but then they get a win over Colorado and Utah they're probably still in that four spot the two west coast regions are Spokane and Sacramento so I think it's a pretty good chance the Pac-12 champ goes to one of those and maybe the runner-up goes to another one now some of that could depend on kind of who else is there if you know the if Oregon's a four and the one's going down there you're not going to match them up at that early and it's so some of it could be pod related but I I think right now, I think if Oregon wins the Pac-12 title, I think you can count on fans can drive to either Sacramento or Spokane for it. And if they end up second in the conference and, like I say, end up still with like a four or a five seed, something like that, then suddenly you get into the wild card of you know, Albany or some of the places. I think St. Louis is one, then, then it kind of gets out of the way. But I think if they want to stay close to home, you know, which they did when they, you know, when they won the Pac-12 back-to-back one year, the Elite Eight year started up in Spokane and the final four years started down in Sacramento. So it's interesting that those are the two options because that's kind of where their best, deepest runs have started. So if they win the title, I think it's there. If not, it comes a little bit more out of their hands. All right. Well, before we uh, get into some football uh, and round this podcast out, let's, uh, let's do what they call in the business a live read steve all right let's see if we can do it and if this is more of a house ad for all of you diehard organ fans that listen to this podcast uh if you could just spread the word to uh your grandpa or your uncle (laughs) or or people that are subscribing to the register guard and love the register guard that um everything they enjoy in the register guard is available online at ducksports.com but you need to activate your but account you to get it. To activate your account, which comes with your subscription, to get that because, you know, we have uh, you know all our Twitter followers and all that. They're they're in tune. They know where to go. DuckSports.com. But, you know, since the internet was invented, we've had RegisterGuard.com <laughs> and DuckSports.com is is a new vertical. So, uh, we kind of need it to gain some traction because our deadlines are changing at the Register Guard on weekends. Games that start at, you know, say 7 o'clock or or later are not going to be in print. But everything we normally do and more will be at DuckSports.com. So that's uh, kind of our PSA. I think, uh, you know, subscriptions to just the online register guard are, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Duck Sports, you can do by itself for right. about $4 a month. Yeah, if, if, you, you, if you just want Duck Sports, you can sign up just for DuckSports.com, and it's about $4 a month. Yeah, that's what my dad does because, you know, he's not from Oregon, so he doesn't care about the town council or the letters to other, because he's not from here, he's from Wyoming. But he cares about the Ducks, because I cover them, and, and he gets the Duck Sports thing, and, you know, every time I post a story, he gets the alert, he gets the alerts from Mem, so he's uh, busy at DuckSports.com, and that's what we want everyone to be. So uh, And everything's could, on there in real time. If there's a game that's not in print the next day, it's still up on the web, but that night, we still got people in here that are making sure everything's getting put up, and, um, you know, the other night, we had a, a civil war that, that wasn't in print, but it was up online before, and so uh, if, you have the, if you have the online account, like I say, whether it's through DuckSports.com by itself or through 
registerguard.com, you'll get everything uh, that you've always come to expect. Right. So what we're saying is it's a tough business right now. Don't panic. The legacy product is still there, but uh, to get everything and more, go to uh, DuckSports.com and make sure um, everyone is is hooked into that. All right, Steve, let's move on to football. Uh, as I mentioned, it's been a while since we've done the pod. Since then, uh, Mario, I guess Cristobal kind of put the finishing touches on a recruiting class. They only added one, one guy in February, <laughs> uh, but it was a, an Alabama flip, and they're uh, – number one again in terms of the recruiting services as far as Pac-12 rankings go. This is how you compete for uh, big prizes is to stack recruiting classes, and Mario has done that. He salvaged a pretty good one in 2017. 2018 was the best ever for Oregon, and this is another solid class for the Ducks. Yeah, and like you say, the only, the, you know, you look at it and say, oh, they only signed one guy after December. What are they doing December, January, February? Well, that those months have now become 2021. They start focusing in on their 2021 guys, So, and we've seen a couple of commits come in on that group, too, but uh, you know, people look now, and sort of the, the calendar's flipped, so most of it's done in December, and a couple get done in, in February. You know, a couple of people were hanging around, but like I say, for the most part, it's you know January and February. They're out looking at guys at 2021 we saw you know after Rod Chance was hired I think the next morning he was on a plane to go see Dante Manning with what looked like the entire defensive staff there had been some rumblings that Manning was kind of a Dante Williams guy and if he'd kind of stay in the fray or look to get his way out and uh, it looked like they say Mario put everybody on a plane and went down and made sure that Dante was in so it's like they've salvaged him I know there's some questions on Luke Hill the other cornerback but feels like uh, everybody else is, is in and the offensive you know they've it's tough when you change a coordinator and you know all the offensive guys decide December signed at the time not knowing uh, who was going to be their head coach or their offensive coordinator but doesn't seem like they had any issues there on that side and uh, and like I say the defense looks like they've saved them all after Williams is going yeah the signing day uh, the February signing day press conference was really more of a Joe Moorhead introductory yeah. press conference and you know he uh came with a good reputation as far as not only the X's and O's and the success, but, you know, his personality. Um, you know, he uh, mentioned that he was sold sight unseen. His family was sold sight unseen because he told them about the Cascades and the ocean and uh, that they had a Trader Joe's and there's a lot of wineries <laughs> around here. So he seems like he's right up our alley. Um, I ran into him the other day at round one, the new arcade that opened there you up. Go. And he was there on Sunday. So I, I can't attest that he's been getting his family out to some of our, uh, our local stops. So he's a man of the people, but uh, the key person he needs to identify is the next quarterback. Uh, spring practices start March 5th. Uh, Tyler Shuck will uh, be the front runner, but with a new coordinator comes a, a new opportunity for uh, all these redshirt freshmen and freshmen to also get in the mix from the ground floor up. Yeah, and it's interesting because Butterfield's obviously here, so that'll be kind of the one. Kale Millen, we're not sure just where he's at after he had uh, surgery during the season that took him out. You wonder if he'll be all the way back. Butterfield might be the twos. And then the wild card's Robbie Ashford, who's not going to be here for the spring in large part because he's playing high school baseball back uh, home and his possibility that if he has a strong season and uh, impresses the scouts, he could be a guy who uh, you know might be coming up to that signing deadline in July and is kind of telling teams, hey, I've got a football offer at Oregon. Unless you guys 
guys want to pay me maybe a little bit more than you would to, to get me in there. Maybe all of a sudden he works his way a you know a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar deal as a sixth round draft pick because he's got some leverage with that. So I don't think we'll know for sure Ashford's fate. Well, after the draft, if he really drops in the draft, we'll know then he's coming. But if he's drafted at a decent spot, it probably comes into the deadline in July before they know he's here. So I don't see him as a real contender next year. Uh, this feels to me like it's it's Shuck and Butterfield and you know Millen didn't really get a whole lot of work last year because of the injury early and like I say there's a question just how much he'll be ready to go so I think it'd be interesting to see I do think you know with media not being able to watch we're going to hear a lot about how good both of them are doing I think we're going to come out of the spring with you know the coaches and the players trying to make sure they give everybody confidence and and let them know that what they are and then we'll kind of the the test will tell when we get into fall practice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Tyler checks all the boxes without seeing him in you know critical game situations. But he's got the size, he has the the presence. the The players like him, and he's uh, been the understudy to Justin Herbert for a couple of years. That cannot hurt. So uh, I'd be surprised if he's not starting against North Dakota State. But you just never know how talented this Ashford is. I mean, could he be like a Kyler Murray type, speaking of baseball? or In Butterfield, I saw it that uh, the uh, Saturday Night Live, he was one of those, and he walks in and he gets your attention, Absolutely. big tall guy with the big arms. So I, I think that, and like I say, he's a guy who's been here. He's going to go into spring practice with about two months and not only the extra, you know, the workouts to the fifth quarter program to get ready for it, but he'll know the offense. So I I think that's the important thing for right now. That kind of gives you a, because what I think one thing Shuck needs is a strong contender. You know, you want him going in there feeling like he's got to be at his best and not feeling like, oh, you know, I'm going to kind of get this job this year. But there's no doubt, I don't think, that with the new offensive coordinator, even though Shuck's got two years in the system and a little bit on the field, they'll kind of be a pretty even battle going in. Yeah, and then every time you see Cal Millen, there's one person walking next to him, and that is Patrick Herbert. Yeah. Uh, and Cal's dad, Hugh Millen, was a uh, you know, a late bloomer and a developmental player. And then by the time he's an upperclassman at Washington, he's obviously an NFL player. So uh, let's not escape the possibility that they come out of spring and think, uh oh, and suddenly, you know, you're looking around. And Jalen Hurts wasn't it after spring right. last year when he went out. I mean, suddenly, you know, couldn't you kind of find all of a sudden maybe you come out and get the word out that, hey, we're not sure what we got. And maybe you find some guy who's at a smaller school. So, I mean, there's still a grad transfer possibility out there. It's unlikely now. But um, like I say, if you come out of the spring and don't know what you got the level this program's at right now they're going to make sure they got a guy they feel comfortable in. and if that means they got to kind of look around and see if there's somebody else who's looking to make a move I still think that's that's an option out there an unlikely one at this time but at this point still an option yeah because the defense has the opposite problem they have two three guys at almost every position yeah. they love so it's a matter of getting them all out there and and coming up with the substitution patterns but their defense should be championship level for sure so uh uh, looking forward to, to getting out there for spring football, whatever they let us watch. And uh, obviously, uh, quarterback's the number one storyline. It is amazing how close we're getting to it, though. I mean, it's yeah. March 5th, and people don't realize the, the first – first football practice is going to come during the women's Pac-12 basketball. I mean, the men's basketball is still going to be in the regular season when we're having it, and then they split it up again. They'll have a couple, and then they take a spring break and come back, but we're going to be three weeks from now, we'll be sitting here talking, or two weeks from now, we'll be sitting here talking about uh, some live football being played at the uh, Mashovsky or the HD. Then uh, another issue that you know I think will crop up here is what is Mario Cristobal's salary going to be next year? 
I think there's no doubt that Rob Mullins has to renegotiate his contract yet again. His salary was $2.6 million, which mm-hmm. sounds pretty good, you know, considering he was the offensive line coach a couple of years ago. But um, there's a real issue going on nationally with uh, the Pac-12 lagging behind in that department. And uh, Colorado just loses Mel Tucker, um, <laughs> who was making about what Mario was making. Yeah to Michigan State and now he's making 5.5 million dollars a year and uh, obviously that's uh, about double over double what Mario's making so what do you think Mario's going to be making as a Pac-12 championship coach a Rose Bowl winning coach over the Big Ten next year yeah it's probably north of four I would think it's probably up to four and a half to five and obviously Oregon's got the resource to be able to do it and and Mario's in a position you know when when he came in and took that contract he was you know Oregon kind of had the leverage in that hey you want to be a head coach here's the salary we're doing out for it well he's you know in two years got him to a Pac-12 title got him to national prominence coming into another year next year and now the leverage has switched now it's him saying hey this is what you can do to lock me up or I think we're also kind of getting that buyout that he got is you know originally when he took the job they gave him the big buyout because Willie had left that starts to go down a little bit and you know he put himself certainly in position after next year to if people knew that he was you know still making 2.6 and would be willing to take a phone call I think he could certainly convince Oregon that he'd be an attractive option so I, I think that thing gets gets up there pretty quick I'd be surprised if if we went into the summer without uh without having a, a new deal for him but that's just the way it called from I mean, you win you get I mean there's a lot of pressure if you lose you get fired pretty quick these days as as Willie learned and some people like that but if you win, you can also start cracking it up pretty quick because coach his ads do not want to lose successful football coaches. And the way the Pac-12 is going right now, where you've seen a couple get taken away, uh, I think you know Cristobal would certainly be the you know up there with David Shaw right now. If there was an opening and somebody else wanted to poach the Pac-12, those would be the two guys you'd look at the most. I think Oregon make sure they put themselves in a position where they feel pretty comfortable. And I think Mario wants to be here too. I think he likes it here. I think he, I think he's appreciative of the fact that they were the school that gave him the opening. I think it's sort of a, you know, Hey, this is where I want to be, but also you got to kind of, kind of got to pay the market rate and that's going up by the day. Yeah. And, and certainly Oregon was smart with the, the enormous buyout. Um, of course they had to learn the hard way about those by Willie Taggart, really not having much of one, but I'm wondering, as the gap continues financially between these conferences, does that even matter? I mean, Michigan State paid D'Antonio a four-point-some million-dollar retention bonus, which is all he was waiting for. (laughs) He gets that money. He's like, okay, I'm going to step down. Then they have to buy out Tucker's contract. They basically bargained against themselves and now are doubling Tucker's salary. And doubling his assistant pool, too, And now too, his I think, assistant so. pool is doubling. So I'm not sure even Oregon had like an $8 million buyout. I mean, if Michigan State can afford this, certainly Michigan or, uh, you know, uh, Alabama or Auburn can certainly afford this. But uh, Michigan State also not right now the uh, poster child for great uh, administration in sports. I mean, they've been through, obviously, the, the Nasser deal, and they've got some, uh, you know, they had problems with, with Dan Tony. We saw some things with Izzo pop up. This isn't exactly the, like I say, the, the model right now for how to run an athletic department. And, you know, you don't want to – I mean, they're not close to the Mountain West. I mean, the Mountain West had to – I mean, UNLV had to dig deep just to pay Marcus Arroyo more than he was making mm-hmm. as the offensive coordinator here. But the Mountain West and the American are getting their coaches poached. That's one thing. But for the Pac-12 to now be in that same boat is a little frightening if you're uh, 
Rob Mullins. Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, I, I think you feel good. I mean, Mel Tucker felt like, you know, that was a a guy who came from, you know, Georgia and had been there and not a whole lot of West Coast. Now, you can say the same about Mario. But like I say, I just think Mario feels like, hey, this is the place that, you know, when kind of overlooked the Florida International and all of a sudden, you know, was able to hire a guy that said, hey, we believe in what you're going to do going forward. Whereas, you know, he kept getting hired as assistant coaches and coordinators and this and that, but it felt like he was going to, you know, he wasn't exactly on the, the rising list for people. Oregon took a chance on him. And I think it's sort of in a Dane Altman way. I think they appreciate the fact that they took a chance on him. There's some loyalty there. Again, as long as Oregon's willing to stay up. And, and I think Rob Mullins certainly, you know, Rob Mullins in a situation where he, you know, the Helfrich hire went or uh, extension went wrong the Willie Taggart didn't go very well right now he's kind of looking pretty good there with with Mario and I think he'll do all he can to to help reward him and make sure he's got the guy running the program so that the you know the program that that funds your athletic department is is up at the top if I were in charge of Colorado search committee (laughs) Oregon fans would be nervous because I would have uh Andy Avalos near or at the top of my list yeah I've seen what he's done and I know what he's like you know to deal with i know how organized he is and that sort of thing and he seems like a future star to me so but it sounds like they really want a veteran head coach Mm -hmm. so i don't think oregon has to worry about that uh at this time although i think he will be a head coach someday in the near future i think so too and it'll be interesting to see does he go you know does he if if a mountain west thing opens up next year does he kind of jump at one or does he wait you know there's been some talk of boise he's be the kind of the heir apparent to harson although harson also looks like he could be there for 10 more years and i haven't i don't know i mean andy's a young guy i'm not sure if he'd be sort of that hey i'm gonna jump at the first one or if he's could be pretty common he's got a pretty nice recruiting classes coming he may sit there and think hey i'm gonna wait for the right one and you know maybe i can get a power five if i do this for a couple more years rather than trying to go to some colorado state and get it started and if it doesn't then suddenly you got this ugly record as a head coach on your resume I think with his age and how kind of what his defenses look like I think you'd see him and now Colorado certainly would be a good option for him but but I think you'll see him maybe a little bit more selective knowing that he can kind of take his time and and bide his time it sounds like Colorado has already interviewed Brett Bielema, who won three Big Ten championships. And was rumored for the Michigan State job. Right. So that doesn't look very good, because now you're just taking the guys that Michigan State didn't want. And I think they could actually sell that as an upgrade from Mel Tucker. Like, yeah. okay, Mel, bye-bye, we've upgraded. At least based on resume, you could say that. Maybe not future, who knows. But if you were Colorado, would you consider Mark Helfrich? And would Mark Helfrich consider Colorado? I don't know that Helfrich would. People I've talked to that know him think he liked the NFL. You know, it's there was always people said, oh, he didn't like recruiting. I've been told that is pretty correct, that he didn't like the way that recruiting trended in his later years and the amount of time he had to put in, the amount of kind of sucking up he had to do to guys. Um, so I think he would prefer the NFL. But I think at this point, those NFL jobs are all filled for the year. So he may just be willing to take another gap year. I mean, he's got enough money that he can keep taking gap years as he wants. And he might want to sit back and, and take you know take a year off but I mean I'd interview him I'd certainly consider him um, I think he's a guy you know I think he talked about both of his kids were born there I think he likes that area now again he'd be coming back to school that it wasn't exactly the glory days under Dan Hawkins when he was there and there wasn't a lot of success under Mark Helfrich there no he had some success later but this wouldn't be you know the conquering hero coming home to, to kind of take it over yeah I think it would be interesting because despite the 2016 season if you look at his resume it looks pretty good he's got mm-hmm. a you know almost a 70 percent winning percentage mm-hmm. he won the pac 12 obviously won the rose bowl went to the national championship game but um yeah that'll be interesting i think uh if he did take that job i think he'd be totally different from a personality standpoint than he was he here could I be think more he, comfortable in his own skin there yeah open up more i don't think you'd hear about 
and we don't talk about injuries, that yeah. sort of thing. I, I think it would be interesting for sure. And it would certainly spice up our uh, first Pac-12 game next year when Oregon goes mm-hmm. to Boulder. Or if Jim Levitt can – I'm sure Jim Levitt's already made a few calls on the job. If he can somehow just hope that Rick George works his way far enough down the list of getting turned down that maybe he finally turns to Jim Levitt there for an interim gig for a year. I've talked to enough people that I still know there that <laughs> I get the impression they've probably blocked Jim Levitt's cell phone number. But uh, – Anyway, uh, well, listen, uh, thanks for tuning in. We're glad to be back. We're going to crank this thing up on the regular now that we're deep into uh, basketball and spring football. So um, get ready for that. Make sure you're subscribed and, and telling your friends about the pod, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.